Welcome, y'all, to the Direct Examination Podcast. My name is Joseph Dias. If you're listening to this, thank you, obviously, for listening. And if you're not listening to this, you wouldn't be hearing me talking, so I guess that was a stupid thing to say to start off the show. Obviously, this is Joseph. Amber and Dane, neither which are here this week, um, they're both on vacation. We're recording this the day before 4th of July. Dane is at the beach with, uh, I've been told, no access to his phone um, by choice. Amber is in Montana. Uh, she talked to us before about taking her private plane up there. So she is without any connections. Um, to me, that sounds like a horror movie. I know in that horror movie, I'd die first. Uh, but hopefully Amber will make it back. And when she does make it back, she'll listen to this episode and probably give me a text about insulting her. Uh, but we are here today to record, as you can see in the episode introduction, uh, we're here uh, to talk about immigration law with Mike Panea. Um, we're recording today for the first time at the South Carolina Bar. We want to thank Mary Catherine Kraft and the staff here at the bar for not only letting us record here, but also staying late the day before their holiday to uh, do so. So we really appreciate that. Um, thank you everyone who has listened and downloaded and shared and liked and uh, spread the word of the podcast. Uh, we've been incredibly honored and touched with the response we've gotten this season. Uh, as I you know, recorded this, we had an article come out today from the Richmond County Bar um, interviewing us about some of our summer favorites and our summer favorite, including our summer favorite podcast. Um, so check that out uh, on our Twitter and Facebook pages. And we look forward to uh, bringing you this episode. We'll do one more episode this season. And then we're going to take a little break and we'll come back strong with already some scheduled guests for uh, September and October. Today, however, uh, we have, it's not often that we have a superstar in our midst, but uh, before we <laughs> began recording, I was told that Mike Panea is a veteran of both Telemundo and Univision TV. Uh, he's a graduate of uh, VCU uh, for undergrad, USC Law School uh, for Law. Uh, he's based out of Columbia uh, and represents clients dealing with immigration issues and criminal matters at his firm, the Panea Law Firm. Uh, please help us welcome Mike Panetta to the show. Mike, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Joseph. Appreciate you having me here today. And I'd like to add, what attorney does not have their phone during a vacation? Is that is that a real thing? Because you know, I must be doing it wrong. We we clearly are doing it wrong. If, if, if we have three people on this podcast and two thirds of them don't have their phone on vacation, so um, maybe you and I need to sit down and talk about what we've done wrong in our lives. Um, <laughs> I neglected to mention Mike is a uh, graduate of the Bar Leadership Program. He's also a graduate of Leadership South Carolina. Mike, thanks for coming on because obviously immigration is kind of a hot button issue sure that's happened is, these yeah. days. And before we get into it, obviously we only have a 30 minute podcast, so in no way could we hit every possible topic uh, that deals with immigration. And I will confess that I'm too ignorant to even know what those topics are. And I wouldn't are. want to bore everybody <laughs> That's you right. know, all, all afternoon. But. I want to talk a little bit about you, though, um, to kind of talk about why you got into uh, this field. Give us a little bit about your background. And sure. um, like I said, I'm curious as to why you decided to go into immigration law. So, uh, I am Colombian. My family is from uh, Colombia with two O's, not an O and a U. <laughs> um, and uh, I grew up seeing my parents go through that. 
I, um, I, I, I grew up in a community that, that I saw those, uh, those difficulties and those struggles, and, and it's always piqued my interest, and I knew that this was something that I wanted to do. And, you know, truthfully, I've always had the innate um, want to help folks, and, and I, I know that this is a community that is underserved and a community that is, uh, that is not uh, represented uh, very much, and so I wanted to fill that need, and that, that's kind of where I got into it. Um, and so I, um, I worked a couple nonprofit things doing immigration, and, and I um, finally felt comfortable at where I was in my education, because I've always said that education starts after you graduate law school, at, le at least for me. No, um, absolutely. At least for me. And so um, after working for uh, about five years uh, at different places, I decided to strike out on my own. And that was 2012, so hanging in there. Yeah, so you started doing this in 2012. Obviously, at some point, you said, you know, this community, this state has a need for this. Uh, you know, not to put you on the spot, but, you know, there's a, a large Hispanic population in this state. Could there be more immigration lawyers? It, it's a, obviously, you don't want to, you know, have <laughs> competitors. Sure, state, no, but no. It, it, it almost seems well, like I mean, it, all of the stuff that we see on the news and, uh, you know, all my friends and individuals I see, it's almost like kind of seems still underserved even with the work you do. Absolutely. I, I think you're right. And the, and the community is growing and it's grown exponentially over the last 10 years. And I, I couldn't even begin. I mean, you know, we could pull the census reports, but I'm not sure it would tell us much. Um, however, you know, if you look at communities like Charlotte, if you look at North Carolina, there are, I mean, there are hundreds of immigration lawyers there. And I, you know, I, I see this as a field that's developing. I, I, you know, they were they were teaching it at, uh, as far as I know, Charlotte School of Law before that whole thing came crashing down. And right. so, um, I think it, I think it's definitely a, a field that is growing and a field that could grow here. And you know, I would I would welcome more lawyers because we, we definitely need quality representation for some of these folks here in South Carolina. If you could characterize the current climate as an immigration lawyer, mm -hmm. is it? Worse than when you started, much worse, is more horrible now? Is it, uh, you know, is it slightly better? I, I, I can't imagine. I don't, I don't know who's listening to this. So I don't want to <laughs> cross the administration, but I, w sure. I will say it's more difficult now than under the previous administration there. And when I say more difficult, you know, I've got friends and I've got colleagues that say, oh, Mike, your, your, your practice must be thriving. You know, you've got so many more clients now. And I'm like, well, yeah, kind of, but not really, because some of the things that you were able to do for clients in the past is no longer an option now. And so- What it, do you mean by that? Well, you know, the current administration, President Trump and his administration have rolled back certain affirmative uh, defenses that gotcha. someone could, could, could uh, bring up in court. Um, and fight their case that way that you could do under President Obama. So, so sure, we may have more calls and more traffic and more appointments. There's less that we can do for folks. So, gotcha. um, there's been a little bit of tightening up in the belt, but you know that's not a, that's not a bad thing in my case. So, um, but yeah, we're just you know we would just ride the waves and uh, do the best we can. If I'm knocking on your door and saying, you know. I'm, I'm looking for help from Panea Law. Tell me what, I, I guess, what is the majority of what your practice is? Like what, what takes up most of your time? I do about 75% uh, immigration, maybe a little more, maybe okay. 80. I do, I do a fair amount of criminal law too because there is a, uh, 
there is an intersection of criminal and immigration law that that, that it just exists. You know, right. every every immigration charge is preceded by a criminal charge, which is really funny because when I was in law school, my professor was Susan Quo, which I, I believe she she was probably very many uh, of of our uh, law school professors as well, yeah. and. I loved her, but I didn't like criminal law. I just, I wasn't interested. I didn't, um, I, you know. I, it wasn't I, your thing. It was not my thing. And then I, I went out on my own and I was farming out, you know, criminal cases. And some of these clients were like, well, we want somebody to speak Spanish. And we want somebody that handles both. Well, I don't handle both. Well, guess what I do now. <laughs> yeah, that's right, right. The market <laughs> dictated. But, but, but honestly, I love it now. I, I really love criminal law. Uh, it, it, it's, it's, a, it's a drastic difference from immigration law, and we could probably talk about that a little more. But um, at least in criminal law, you feel like you're negotiating. You feel like you have someone that you can talk to. You feel like, right. you, you know, you don't have that in immigration law. You, you, don't, you can't talk to their, their, what they, you know, their solicitors. You can't talk to their the government attorney that they, they don't want to talk to you. Um, there's no so negotiation. There's no negotiation. There's no back and forth. There's zero well, back and forth. I'm, I'm curious. So when it when you have a immigrant who's dealing with the criminal justice system, you know, I know. And again, for anybody listening, if you might excuse my ignorance on a lot of these topics. No, no, no. I, I understand that depending on the charge, it could affect your status as you know in the country. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? And I know that specifically kind of comes into when it, you talk about maybe a DUI versus a DUAC and sure. things like that. Yeah. Um, and, you know, those charges, we treat them very similarly. But, um, you know, when you look at a immigration client, what you're looking at first and foremost is if the person has any status. And by status, I mean, are they here on a visa? Are they, do they have a green card? Or, we, you know, what we most commonly known as a green card, are they a lawful permanent resident? What what is their what is their status? You know, right. nine times out of ten they don't have anything, right? So, you know, depending on the crime, and most crimes will affect a person with no status. Um, but when you are a, a lawful permanent resident, you do have some protections for certain crimes. Like, for instance, uh, simple possession of marijuana. If you're a lawful permanent resident, you are allowed under the law one charge of that. So you get essentially one freebie before one you freebie get before deported. You, ex- before you okay. You, you, but, you know, you have you have uh, you have uh, constitutional rights when you're uh, when you're a lawful permanent resident. So you don't just get deported. You go through the entire process. Gotcha. Okay. You know, you go through the um, you know what we call an arraignment and your first appearance and then your trial and, and there's a decision. For it. And same thing if you're a non-citizen. But if you're a non-citizen and you're and you're found guilty of a simple possession of marijuana, uh, a lot of what you are eligible for is out the door. Okay. So that that's what's so important about the criminal aspect of that, and, and it's been it's been good because I've been able to to talk with a lot of good uh, criminal lawyers who who have that in mind, and you know I've been able to just get phone calls. People pick up the phone and say, "Hey, Mike, I got this case, and this is the charge. You know, if we plead this, um, will it affect them?" And I think that's been very helpful to to help a lot of these folks in, in these situations. Have you seen that? I guess doing defense work for you know immigrants and you're trying to figure out their status is that a tool that solicitors use negotiating with you I'm, I'm wondering how much of that plays into the actual charge that the person either pleads guilty to or takes to trial I, I mean I, I think it's a bargaining tool when I say you know if he pleads to this he's going to get deported therefore don't give him jail time you gotcha. know, don't 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 make the taxpayers pay for that but but I think solicitors are, are also conscientious of it and you know they do a good job with and are fair and 
I like solicitors. <laughs> <laughs> no, we, we, yeah, yeah. Look, Dana's in here. If Dana's right, right, here, right. Yeah, don't a, remind me, Mr. Without a Phone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah right. Three minutes on how uh, solicitors are, are um, keeping the uh, man down. But I, I am pro-solicitor in the event sure. that I get pulled over for something one day. So, <laughs> you know, any solicitors listening, I'm, I'm, I'm on your side. Right. Um, I know that uh, there's some issue that when a child is in an immigration hearing, mm-hmm. they are treated like an adult. Is that correct? Am I, am so everyone, it, it is a one-size-fits-all process, okay. right? So everyone um, gets a interview, everyone gets uh, fingerprinted photographs, um, you know, you're offered a PR bond or you're not, mm-hmm. you get a bond or you don't. Um, and then you go through your hearings and then you go through a final hearing, but you only go through the final hearing if you have a way of fighting your case. But, so in that aspect, children are treated exactly like an adult. They go through the same process and if the child doesn't have any relief, is gonna be deported. Okay. Um, is the court that does that, is that the one in Charlotte? So yeah, so South Carolina does not have an immigration court. I wish it did because I tell you there is a lot of travel involved right. with, with uh, the defense work that I do with immigration. You know, the, the court is in Charlotte. Um, court hearings start at 8.30 in the morning. Um, you know, your trials might be at 10 or one, depending on how many hours you need, but um, they're at 8.30 in the morning. So that's a le- 6.30 wake up call to uh, get that, there. It's a get on the road yeah. at 6.30, yeah, so you, you beat the traffic going up to Charlotte. So, um, but yeah, that that is the process. It's one size fits all, unfortunately. Um, and is the process of so those immigration courts, first thing, I agree, we definitely need one in South Carolina. Put it in Columbia, put it in Charleston, wherever. Yeah. wherever. Do they have any recourse after that immigration hearing? Is there an appeal so process? So there is an appellate okay. process, right? They, the immigration court has what they call the BIA, the Board of Immigration Appeals. That's in Falls Church, Virginia. Um, that is much like any appeal you would do in, in state court. It's all brief-based and right. record-based. and. They'd make the decision, and then from there it'd go to the Fourth Circuit. Um, you know, if you want to go that far, and then from there it just goes up to the top. But um, so there, is, there is some some post uh, decision relief, like in any any court, um, which is interesting. But um, yeah, they're difficult. It's difficult, and um, I see here a potential question as to whether children are entitled to attorney immigration hearings. Mm-hmm. Um, Everyone is entitled to an attorney at immigration hearing, but the difference between what we're used to and what happens in immigration court is that it's at the person's expense. There are no, gotcha. uh, there are no public defenders. You, if you want an attorney, really? you, you have to pay for it. You have to provide it. Now, sure, they're, they're, they're pro bono. Um, not, not any that I know of in South Carolina, to be honest with you, thinking about it. There's no pro bono deportation defense uh, firms or, or groups or um, organizations in South Carolina. There are a couple in North Carolina, but they right. only serve North Carolina residents. residents. Right. So, and, and that's one of the things they tell you in court. They say, you, you know, you, if you're there by yourself, they say, well, you have the right to attorney at your expense. So that, that. So if you're indigent and you, you know, can't afford your attorney. Now, although I'm assuming that some of these proceedings happen in Spanish, or, or you know, what, 
They don't provide you an attorney, but they do provide you an interpreter. Okay. And there's, you know, there's always a live Spanish interpreter. If there's a different language or someone, let's just say France. Um, Polish in my dad's case. Sure. There you go. Yeah. They will, they will, they will um, use a language line. Okay. Kind of like we, kind of like what you've seen here. But, um, but yeah, there's always a Spanish because that's, you know, that's 90% of the docket there. Um, So yeah, no, no, no immigration attorney, no attorney. Um, You know, they don't point anyone there's no appointments it just you pay for it or you don't have representation so it sounds like you know if we're making a list of the things that may <laughs> make your job and the immigration process easier you know maybe a pro bono deportation attorney group based in South Carolina would help yeah at least to, you know that what what the court is or you know and I, I I'm embarrassed to say I don't know who runs this program but at the immigration court there is a person who I don't believe is a lawyer, and they just give you a free screening. Okay. How long you've been here? Do you have kids? Are you married? What were you arrested for? What's your criminal history? These might be the things that you can apply for in defense. Gotcha. You should go seek an attorney, or you've got no shot. You know, sorry, you're, have you're looking at a voluntary departure or order of deportation, and even then, you know, you still have the right to go seek an attorney at your expense. Right. All right, the parole in place program or the PIP program, um, I was introduced to today uh, in researching for this podcast, and we talked a little bit before. Can you tell us about what that program is? Yeah, absolutely. It's it's not been rolled back yet, but maybe some folks are looking at doing it. It, it, It's a great program, and it is a program that makes you wonder why it's being rolled back. You don't sure. You you want to think, well, what's what's the reason behind it? So. Parole in place, or PIP as we call it, is for spouses of active duty or retired military. Okay, so um, if if you if you're in the military and you marry someone who's a non-citizen, because immigration law, in its applications, definitely distinguish between someone that has entered the country without any type of documentation, without any type of visa, no status, as they call it and someone that did enter with something, visitor's visa or, you know, I don't know, work visa or whatever the case may be. You marry someone who's in the military, active duty, or that has been honorably discharged, that's mm-hmm. that's the key there. Um, you, there is a process, there is a vehicle that will allow you to apply for something that is the equivalent of you have in, having entered in the country with status, okay, which makes the process so much easier. You do everything here locally. You go to an interview and you get your permanent resident card here locally. Everyone else has got to leave the country. You may have to ask for a waiver. It could cause a separation. The process takes two and a half, three years without a waiver. Um, but if you do everything here, you have everything in under a year. Sure. Um, so yeah, but there's been talks that President Trump wants to end that program, and I don't know why, because Cause it, we, if we support the military... Right, it seems right. to me, if especially in a state like South Carolina, who, that's obviously a huge military, has it... Yeah, absolutely, even here right in town in Columbia, right? Right, to, to not maybe inconvenience those people who are already putting their lives and livelihoods on the line for us. Exactly, and so now you're saying, we're not gonna offer this protection for your husband or your wife, and, right. and, and what if you have children, and you know, that is what I don't understand about that. So supposedly that is coming down the pipeline, it's supposed to be this um, this summer at some point, but who knows, maybe he won't do it. I mean, you know, the uh, 
kind of goes into it with the DACA. You know, DACA, he wanted to repeal it. It was repealed. It was appealed. It was, you know, it's, it's still going. Right, <laughs> Let's put it right. that way. But, you know, who knows what happens. You mentioned visas. Real quickly, what percentage of your case, caseload do you think involve visas? I'd say it's under 10%. Really? Yeah, it's very very little. Um, is that something that's been made more difficult by everything <laughs> as well? I'm, I'm I'll tell you what, when I have a case that somebody's in it with a visa, it's like lucky day that, right. you know, that I find a... Uh, is it a three-leaf clover or a four-leaf <laughs> four clover? Yeah, there yeah. you go. That's how that's unlucky how it, is. it is. Exactly <laughs> right. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's very little. But but that's why, that's what makes programs like PIP so important. You know, to give someone a vehicle to to have the same um, footing that someone that entered the country in based on your spouse's um, dedication uh, to the country, I think it's something very honorable. As far as DACA and its future, that's been in the news, for, seems ever since, you know, program was initiated and obviously through the election. Do you have an opinion as to... <laughs> You know what should happen, what, and I'm putting you on the spot. Sure, we could edit it out if we, uh, no. if you don't want to do it. Um, is there a solution to I don't, what's happening? I mean, I have lots of opinions. Yeah. So you know what I mean, but I don't. Look, I, you, you hit me and tell me what, what you want to leave. I don't at. know. You know, DACA right now. I think it's so good for everybody right. that I don't. Again, I don't know why we want to end it. A DACA application costs four hundred and ninety-five dollars times close to a million young folks across the country. I don't know, I'm not smart. I'm, 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 I joke <laughs> around and say I'm a lawyer because I was horrible at math, but I don't know what $500 times a million people is, but I'm assuming it's a lot of money. It There's sounds like it could be a lot. That the, Thanks, Brittany. <laughs> here we go, Brindy, smarty uh, fans Brindy, uh, showing me up. provided us um, the answer. <laughs> anyways, um, the, the point is that is a lot of money and I, you know, these are folks that are able to get a social security card, a driver's license, they can work, they can pay taxes, this is income that the federal government is getting, this is income that the state government is getting. Why, why take it why, away? Why make it more difficult? Exactly. I'll tell you, Mike, the, one of the best stories from when I practiced you know, real law, I was doing criminal defense. <laughs> one of the best stories I, I ever had, and I told folks as far as my favorite story, when you know, for years, is I was representing a woman who spoke very little English, and she was here. She had a spurious, you know, uh, domestic violence charge. Mm -hmm. um, she had done her time. She was on probation. Um, she couldn't get a job because she was on probation, but she was violating her probation by not having a job. So literally, catch twenty two. She's in that yeah. catch twenty two. Going, she was going back for had kids, going back and forth to Charlotte um, for various things, and it was just this cycle. And it, you know, you mentioned with the DACA thing, like why not do it? Why? And I finally was able to get her in front of a judge that said, you know, what is the point of right. this? Why are we having her on probation? And Essentially ruining this setting woman's her up life, for failure. Right. setting her up for failure, right. and you know that kind of makes me think of this the the DAC thing, and really a lot of it. You know, what's the point of all this? Are we trying to you know have individuals come in and set them up for failure, or are we trying to 
Yeah. And remember, DACA was only for a specific amount of folks. Right. You had to enter the country before you were X amount of years old, which is young. You've had to have gone to school here and graduated. You have to have no criminal record outside of these little minor traffic offenses. You know, so they're not bad folks. I think, you know, and it pulls on the heartstrings because, you know, these are kids that didn't have any choice in where they were taken by sure. their parents, right? So you. We're gonna go, we're gonna move over here. Okay, well you're my parent, I'm three years old. What are you supposed to do? You know, it's funny that you say these catch-22s, you know, when you practice immigration law, you really realize um, all the catch-22s. For instance, um, we're not gonna let you work, we're not gonna give you a work permit, we're not gonna give you a social security card because you're not here legally, but if you are going to work, we need you to file taxes with this <laughs> W-7. Right. 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 And then. And if you don't file those taxes. Right. Then. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, we say stuff like, well, we're not going to give you a driver's license because whatever, you're not here legally. Okay. But we're going to let you buy this car with a loan. We're going to let you register this car. We're going to let you get exactly. these license plates. But but you can't drive that. That's right. right. <laughs> so it's just, you know, I, I live in a um, in a practice of catch 22s, which was makes it makes it fun. <laughs> so if you were giving I, I have no idea if the law school offers an immigration law course. I don't know, but I would I would love it. I, I think there there was um, an asylum type thing, which that's very interesting because that because that you know, asylum has been whittled to bare bones right. by, by this administration but I, I don't know if that's still happening if you were given because I work with law students I work at the school if you were giving advice to students wanting to get involved in immigration law you know obviously taking a foreign language probably helps whatever that language <laughs> should sure, be yeah, 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 I, I will tell you I took French in school it has not helped me listen I did beyond. too <laughs> I took four years of French and I couldn't. I may have. Be, I may be able to say a couple of yeah, a couple could, of phrases. But. I could point out a baguette, but that's about it. That's right. So, other than taking a foreign language, that probably what advice would you give to students maybe looking to get involved in this field? I think you really have to think about what you want to do with your life because it is. It's not easy. It's ugly. It's dirty. It's is is you know it's long drives, it's mean judges. Um, I think that you really have to think about what you want to do. I, I, my advice is to do it is to prepare to lose often. Sure. Prepare to lose often. And, and, it, and it's terrible because for me, I take every loss really hard because it's a, it's a separation of a family. It's the, it's the, it's the impact on children. It, it's tough, but I mean, I think if you're interested in doing the work, I applaud you. I, you know, I, as you know, I've got a law clerk. I hope she's learning something. But, um, you know, I, I would say um, just prepare yourself mentally for the difficulty because it's not like any law. You know, it's, it's very different. It's, it's federal administrative law. And like I, I complain to a lot of criminal colleagues, for instance, in a immigration proceeding, in a immigration trial, mm-hmm. the rules of evidence do not apply. And that makes it so wild, wild west. It makes it so contra everything you've learned. Everything every, that you've learned it doesn't apply. In everything the, uh, that you've practiced in state court, you know. Right. I, I, I'll be honest. I would much rather do a trial in state court than in immigration court. Wow. Um, so advice, you know, 
there's a lot to learn. Um, but I, I think it's definitely there's a, there's a need to be filled. You and just have to be ready to uh, have take that the bumps mindset. and bruises. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. I, I mean, it, the learning curve for me was steep. Yeah. Um, but um, I've been lucky to just wade through it. I mean, we've had prosecutors and you know defense attorneys, and Dane and I were public defenders, and you know we've talked about on mic and off mic about that mindset of a public defender where, you know, the fact of the matter is most of your clients that are, did the thing that they were accused of. Mm -hmm. And so you're talking about a matter of degrees. Is a, a win isn't going to be getting this guy off. Right. A win may be having- Not going to jail for- Not a going yeah. to jail for 30 years, that, you know. Right. So it's adapting that and adopting that mindset. What I'm hearing you saying is kind of the same thing. You have to get used to the losses you have to get used to the courts to so that you don't go crazy. Immigration law is one that's black and white. Right. Really, there there may be some gray areas, you know, in some of these new cases that are coming out in certain aspects of it. But, but for the most part, I see it as black and white. Right. So there's no middle ground. There's no like, you know, well, yeah, my client was found guilty, but he didn't go to jail for 15 years. You know, he went to jail for three years. There's none of that. You're you know, in or it, you're out. Exactly right. You're in or you're out. Um, so it's always high stakes. It's always high stress, um, and uh, but you know, I still love it. One of the things that we're doing as we kind of close out our second season is we uh, interview all of our guests and ask them for their best war stories. So this could be a story <laughs> that is, you know, if you're sitting at a bar with some friends, sure. you're, you know, particularly funny, poignant, uh, had an impact on you, was so ridiculous that you uh, couldn't help but laugh at it. Do you have one of those? I do, I do. I've, I've got plenty, I'm sure, <laughs> but, but one that comes to mind, and I was actually uh, a criminal colleague, a good friend of mine, his name is Justin Cade. I don't know if you know him. Yeah, but, I know Justin. Okay, so him and I were, were working on a criminal and immigration matter together for a gentleman that was charged with, I want to say DUI, and it, and it got worked out to a reckless driving, thankfully, and we were doing the plea before the judge, and it's a judge that you... Uh, get a sense that you don't want to mess around with, you know, you want to get in and get out kind of thing. And we're going through the plea colloquy there, and, and Justin and I are standing there, one on, he's on one side of the client, I'm on the other side of the client, and the judge is going through the whole uh, process. All, all of a sudden, this guy's phone rings, and it's mariachi el cucaracha, <laughs> loud as can be. And the judge just looks at us, just mouth wide open. <laughs> exactly the right song that you want to be That's playing. That's what right you want to hear, right? Yeah. And I'm thinking, like, where's the salsa? Where's the chips? <laughs> you know. Right. But but that th those are those are funny things. But but in all honesty, I mean, you know, the the thing about <laughs> the thing about immigration law is that it would sometimes the simplest case for anyone else becomes very difficult because right. of all these other things that you have to worry about and all these other things. But. There are plenty of war stories that we could yeah, talk yeah. about. But. You didn't know turning off your phone would be the uh, <laughs> biggest thing that no, you'd have yeah. to say today. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, Mike, we certainly appreciate you uh, joining us uh, this week. If you uh, need help from an experienced immigration lawyer like Mike Panea and the Panea Law Firm, you can reach him at 803-728-0045. You can find him on Facebook at the Panea Law Firm which we will tag on uh, the post for this show. Um, you can always follow us at SC Law Pod on Twitter and Facebook. 
follow me at Joseph P. Bios. And then you can tell Dane and Amber that you missed them. Dane <laughs> at SC Crim Lawyer and Amber at Red Judicata. So, Mike, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks this for week. having me. Uh, we appreciate you all listening. Like, share, download, and we will see you next week for the season two season two finale of the Direct Examination Podcast. Thanks for listening, guys. Bye.